0: On R2C2, CeCe Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type, to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash! Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor, for each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York, New York. Sometimes your star players gotta put the Superman cape on. I'm not gonna sing the Superman song, but Kevin Durant did exactly that. We got you covered there. Crazy game to react to. Plus, the Islanders lose game two. A good night for New York baseball. Our guy Kaz is going to check in. Harry Gagnon with some U.S. Open picks and a ton of voicemails. New York, New York, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It's New York, New York. Right here on the Ringer Podcast Network, and wow. Wow. Sometimes you watch games. Sometimes you watch performances. And players can even leave a guy like this speechless. Kevin Durant had one of those performances on Tuesday evening. And there are certain games in a particular player's career That you look back on where you say, how are you going to answer the bell? How are you going to handle adversity? And how in the world are you going to show up? I think back to LeBron James many moons ago. Now, Kevin Durant and LeBron James are in totally different stages of their career. LeBron had to win that game six in Boston. It was coming off the Miami debacle, the Miami disgrace. Losing to Dallas. Losing game five to Boston. His arch nemesis in Boston. And LeBron had the performance of his career. That night is the most important night of LeBron James' career. I've said it over and over again. Winning that game six in Boston. It's a little different for Durant. But remember with KD. He joined the 73-win Warriors. He hopped on the coattails of Steph. Clay. Draymond, Kerr, Iggy, all those guys to win a couple of finals MVPs, to win a couple of NBA titles. How could he do it as top dog? How could he do it by himself on a night where you don't have Kyrie Irving and on a night where, yes, you get James Harden back? And that was the big storyline going into this game. What will James Harden be? James Harden was basically a decoy. You know, he distributed a little bit. He was well off his mark. He had a terrible, terrible shooting night and got off to an awful, awful start. And it's not surprising. He hasn't played in forever. 1-10, 0-8 from three. This was a night where Brooklyn needed Durant to be exemplary. And they were down big. That's the other thing. They were down big in this game. They were getting smoked in the first half. Durant came alive and basically looked at his team and looked at his head coach and said, fellas, Get on my back. Come with me. We ain't losing this game. And you saw in this particular game, folks, the difference between Durant and Giannis. And this is not to rag on Giannis and call him a stiff and take away from what he's achieved in the league. He's had great success in his career. Giannis is a limited superstar. In the sense that end of these games, end of the shot clock, creating, doing what needs to be done, can't do it. You can't rely on Giannis to hit an outside shot. You can't rely on Giannis to hit a free throw. And at the end of this game, uh, uh, Milwaukee, by the way, we'll get to that in a little bit because their, their, their shot selection, their second half offense was embarrassing. How you don't go after James Harden, I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> how, how is that possible? The guy's playing on one leg. Go after him.
2: Mind-boggling. Shameful from Coach Bud. Shameful. But Durant had to be great tonight.
1: And he was. He hit every big shot. He hit him late in the shot clock. He hit him off the dribble. He hit him catch and shoot. He did it all. Played every minute of this game. Every minute. 16 to 23. 23. 13 to 16 from the line, 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, and played top-notch defense too. It was the sort of game for Durant when maybe he was trying to tell you, guess what? I know I didn't play last year. I know I got hurt two years ago. Remember me? I'm the best player in the NBA. This is the sort of game where you could do a little bit of that flex. I don't know if you saw Durant after one of those jump shots. He kind of did like the shimmy and a little shug. It's like, I got you.
2: You can't stop me. Fun to watch.
1: Even if somebody's rooting like crazy against Brooklyn, fun to watch. And the disparity between the two superstars, my goodness. Even on a night where Giannis gives you 34 and 12, you see Durant's game, you see Giannis's game. They're not comparable right now. There's just things that Durant brings to the table from a closing standpoint, a shooting standpoint that Giannis does not. Now Brooklyn is back in control in this series, and now you get Milwaukee in a position where they're dominating for half. They're smoking the Nets. They yuck this lead up. They execute like crap in the second half. They don't attack Harden. Giannis' shot selection sucks. He's missing free throws. They had that late turnover where I thought Giannis had an easy put-back slam dunk that was going to tie the game. He can't handle the ball. Can't handle the pass from Middleton. Now you got to sleep on that for 24 hours and play. That's a tough spot. That is a tricky, anything-but-ideal type of scenario. As they got to buck up, no pun intended, to get this series to a game number seven. But one thing about Brooklyn that you must acknowledge in this game. And it's going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit because of the performance of Durant, which I think is the most significant Kevin Durant performance of his career. And before you tell me the NBA Finals against LeBron and Cleveland, they're up 2-0 and 3-0 in a series, and I'm going to be pounding my chest about what Kevin Durant was doing in those particular games. They would have won anyway. Those games would have been over. They would have been done with. It would have been case closed. I could think back on a couple of great performances he had in Oklahoma City. Maybe against San Antonio in the Western Conference Finals. Had that fun first-round series when he was very young, very inexperienced against Kobe and the Lakers. I'll never forget watching that. Senior year, pounded way too many cocktails at Fagan's. Those are some great games to watch back in the day at the Cues. But I would say it without hesitation. This is the best game, most significant game in a playoff performance that I've seen from Kevin Durant. Because remember, game six, up 3-2 against the Warriors. Durant came up very small in that game. Put really well in game seven, too little too late. Too little, too late. Team needed him to be Superman. He did exactly that. But the Nets do not win this game without Green and without Shannon. Both of those guys gave Brooklyn unbelievable minutes. Green, seven of eight from three, giving you 27 points. Brooklyn does not win this game without Jeff Green. And Green, in many ways, kept them in it first half and into the third quarter when they needed somebody other than Kevin Durant to score. Don't lose sight on what Green gave you in this game. And Shaman hit a couple of big shots, too. He hit a couple of massive, massive shots. It's going to go down as the Kevin Durant game. It's going to go down as his signature performance. But the Nets, with their backs in many ways up against the wall, showed you a whole lot of chutzpah showed you all whole lot of fight and found a way. Their best player was not
2: going to let them lose tonight. Simple as that.
1: Wow. That's a nice humble flex from Kevin Durant. Net reaction right out of the gate. Uh, I'm sure the, uh, the Park Slope yuppies are ready to go. They're ready to rock. Uh, I don't know. They're probably partying right now at McMahon's, leaving Fifth Avenue. Let's hear his on the horn. JJ, it is Lucas from Stamford, Connecticut. I am so sick of when you say
3: that you hate finesse, but guess what? The best player on the damn planet showed up in Game 5, 48 points. I've been watching that basketball for my entire life. That was the single greatest performance I have ever seen from a Brooklyn net. What, what a performance on the biggest stage. Absolutely unbelievable. Complete series changer season-changer, call it whichever you want. He is the best player on the planet, hands down. I don't want to hear about a single other person in the damn league. Kevin Durant, have a night. We'll see
0: you Thursday. Game
3: six,
2: we'll wrap this up. And guess what, JJ? You got to talk about the Nets for another damn week now. How do you like that?
1: Lucas, I do. I do. And there was an outside possibility that next season was going to be Betty Bye on Thursday. Yeah, that thought went through my mind in the first half of this game. And I fully admit the fact that I may have had a couple of shekels on Brooklyn tonight. So yeah, the thought went through my mind that they're going to lose. They're going to lose this series in six. And we're not going to have net basketball to talk about until the offseason. And it was going to be a long, cold, dreary summer. I know it's very anti the normal summer response you're looking for. But yeah, cold summer not temperature-wise, cold summer feelings-wise for the Brooklyn Big Three and what could have been. Kevin Durant does a lot of silencing of that tonight. This is an all-time great playoff performance. I don't have to like the Brooklyn Nets, but I give credit where credit is due. That was exemplary. That was top-notch. That was big boy shit. That was big boy shit from Kevin Durant. No ifs, ands, or buts. Who's up next?
4: Yo, JJ, what up? It's Billy from Queens giving you a call after Nets-Bucks Game 5. My stomach is still in absolute knots. What a stressful, incredible game to have watched. Right now I'm just filled with absolute gratitude that I got to watch this team. What a fucking performance by Kevin Durant. How about a little adversity to add to the narrative? Give this team some fucking credit. That was so much grit. Holy shit. I am so proud of these guys. And you know what? For everyone listening, love it or hate it, I don't care. You'll remember it for the rest of your life. Let's go, Nets.
1: Go, Nets. Go, Yanks. Peace. Later, Billy. And I will give. The Park Slope yuppies some credit. I said a little tongue in cheek for those of you keeping score at home. Actually, played a little blackjack with a couple of Park Slope guys less than 24 hours ago. That should have been a sign that Brooklyn was going to win this game. I end up on a blackjack table, Park Slope, Brooklyn, Staten Island. Come on, should have known. The crowd seemed into it tonight, and it did not seem like one of those generated fake fraudulent crowds. It seemed like a terrific crowd. Now, I was not in the building. I was not there. I mean, I'm sitting here in the cave. I had like five different screens going on. I even set the cane on a couple of occasions. I'm just overwhelmed. And it's a good overwhelming feeling. But I had Nets, I had Islanders, I had Yankees, I had Mets. My head was spinning. It was on a swivel, for goodness sakes. But it was a lively Brooklyn crowd. Very lively. And when Durant's putting on that sort of show, it better be. I mean, if it's not lively in a game five where your team desperately needs a win, then I got news for you. It's never going to be lively. At least, not a repeat of Continental Airlines Arena. Jeez. Who's up next?
2: Kevin
3: fucking Durant. Jeff fucking Green. Let's fucking go. JJ, Kevin from North Brunswick here. I do want to thank one more person tonight, and that is uh, Mike Boutenholz, uh head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. This guy absolutely stinks how whoever James Harden is guarding is not driving the paint every single play is beyond me. James Harden was a waste tonight. He was a decoy, as expected. But him shooting threes tonight was the equivalent to Yonda shooting threes for the Bucks. I don't expect a Game 6 win, but to have a chance for a Game 7 in our own place is electric. I know there's no fans for us Brooklyn Net fans. I know it doesn't take much for the Garden, or if I'm sorry, <laughs> the Garden, for Barclays Center to rock, but let's get that place fucking loud. Let's go
2: Nets. The Net fan fired up
1: tonight. I like it. Giving it to me a little bit. Giving it to the haters out there. Hey, I can tag it. I'll own it. They showed up in a big way. Their best player showed up in a big way. Paying them a bullet of the money. Missed a whole lot of games. You better show up. You better play every minute tonight. I mean, that to me is, should not be something that we like applaud like it's this like, miraculous achievement. Like It's a win to take all game five. Hey, if you can't play tonight for 40-something minutes, then when is it going to happen? That's great. Hallelujah. Thank you, Coach Nash. Thank you, Kevin Durant. And I can guarantee you this. If there is a Game 7 on Saturday night, and I have to work around a little TV obligations because I do uh, TV on S.O.Y. to make me look pretty on Saturday, Sunday. So I'll probably do something over there. I'll have the suit on and might shave, the whole deal. We will do a uh, locker room if there's a Game 7. I, I don't think you have to worry about that. We'll be rocking. I might do it over uh, Corona Light or Kona, but we will have a locker room. So don't worry, you NET fans who've been asking for that, well, we'll find a way, we'll take care of you. It's just worked out really well that our schedule with the podcast and the schedule of these NET games has kind of been locking steps. So I'm already putting the wheels in motion. I'm thinking ahead, so don't you worry. I'm already thinking ahead about potential Saturday programming, but who knows? The Nets might win a series in six because the Nets just stuck it to the Bucs in a way that I got to wonder. How Milwaukee recovers. And your point on Mike Booneholzer could not be more spot on. How are you not going after James Harden every single play on the defensive end of the floor? You have to attack James Harden. And the shot selection and the lack of ball movement, mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling. Loaded show. The Net fan is fired up. We'll welcome in my main man, Kaz Familiere, who... Was into this tonight. Always love having Kaz on the show. He's always dialed in. He'll join us. We'll get to everything else. But you Net fans, you got to watch Brilliance. Me as a bitter Nick fan. Yeah, I got to watch Brilliance still. And I'll admit it. I wish Kevin Durant was doing this in a Nick uniform. Yeah, I'll say it. I'll say it. Kaz is coming up next.
5: This episode is brought to you by cars.com.
1: Holy smokes, what a night of basketball, what a performance by Kevin Durant, and it pains me to say this, because I'm not rooting for the Brooklyn Nets, although I might have been financially invested today, just saying, might have been financially invested, so let's welcome in, for the second time, our dude, the great Kaz, who was killing it all year at MSG, he's got ten million new gigs, and... Kaz, I mean, I'm gonna say it point JJ. blank, I wish Kevin Durant was doing this in a Nick uniform, dude. I'm not gonna. Oh lie. my
6: goodness gracious. I, I don't I don't even wanna I don't even wanna sully I don't even wanna sully tonight with what could have been a couple of summers ago because yeah it, of course, yes, it'll be very nice to see him do this in blue and orange. But I'm even gonna I'm so impressed. I'm gonna take my own Nick fandom out of this conversation and just truly appreciate one of the greatest Playoff performances I've ever seen. Definitely the greatest Kevin Durant game I've ever seen. Yeah,
1: I would agree with that. You know, I'm thinking about it. I was going through it in my mind, Kaz, thinking about like the great Durant moments. You know, obviously, Golden yeah. State willing his team the two championships. But let's be honest with that team, it was always this like looming. It wasn't question. a whole lot of
6: willing. Well, you know what I mean, dude? <laughs> Curry's there,
1: Thompson's yeah. there. You go to a 73-win team, and it's not to say that Durant didn't have great games by himself in OKC. He had some unbelievable performances, but this was a night where his team said, bro, we need you. We need you to put the Superman cape on, and dude, he turned into Superman in this game. Oh, my
6: goodness. He for damn sure did, man. Like, it was one of the best games ever because I I got on Twitter and I was just like, he's got to be generational tonight. Once I saw James Harden was playing, I was like, oh, they're desperate. They're, like, extremely desperate. And it's like they know if they lose game five, which in most cases, most playoff series, you lose game five. And it's it's hard sledding after that, especially when it's 2-2. But KD's never really had one of those great, great playoff moments where you just kind of stop. You know all the eyes are on him. And he delivered, and I think this is up there. I mean, you could talk about Game Three against Cleveland, uh, and I think I want to say 2017 Finals or whatever when he when him and Le- when he just completely took the soul out of LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers. But this game tonight, I mean, he was he played every single minute, 48 minutes, 49 points, 17 assists, 10 rebounds. I mean, every single big shot, every single big run, guarded Giannis, guarded Middleton. Garden Holiday did every single thing that you ask of a superstar to do. And I know we get into these sort of conversations about, like, legacy games and, like, if somebody, you know, when those games are on the line and it's the playoffs and everybody's talking about you, and if you don't show up, that's your legacy right there. And I hate that. I hate those sort of conversations. But this is one of those games that Kevin Durant definitely has to put a notch in his belt and be like, yo, you did that. Like, even if they don't even if they lose the next two games, this is a game they absolutely had to have in Brooklyn at home with I guess a half leg James Harden, no Kyrie Irving. you, you got the, the corpse of Jeff Green coming out. And, well, and, and they don't win this game, Taz,
1: Let's be honest. Yeah. As dominant as Durant was and as impressive as he was, I tweeted this out a yes. few minutes ago. The Nets do not win this game tonight if Jeff Green doesn't bail their ass out in the first half of this game. 7-3.
6: Seven threes from the Hoya. Shout out to my co-host Monica McNutt. A lot of PG County love. Well, normally out when there you get a Georgetown but.
1: love on this show, aside from Patrick Ewing, I'm cringing. So <laughs> I, I'll let it slide. Well, my, I'll let it slide, Monica
6: well, is my, to Monica's my, and your my I'll let it slide. Monica my second favorite Georgetown Hoya. So we're gonna put it. We're gonna they, put it I on like pencil. that. Of my
5: second favorite, of course. <laughs> She's you my second favorite. Second lot. favorite.
6: Very proud. Of exactly. <laughs> but nah, man, it was an incredible game, and and Kevin Durant. I mean, listen. We've been talking about him being the best player in the world for a long time. And I know and and, and it, it seems just so poignant that today the All-NBA teams came out and it really just puts such a, a, a distinct sort of difference on like what an All-NBA player is and what a most valuable player is. And this dude, Kevin Durant, did literally every single thing you can ask for a player to do. He did it. Even as much as I do not rock with the Brooklyn Nets fan base, and they're just, just how, just, uh, just, I don't want to say anything too bad about them because they they should enjoy tonight. You go it out. It's been it's a long it's a year. Safe space. It's so been, you can it out. It's been a long year with the Knicks and the Nets going back and forth with each other. All right, so I was definitely getting my my jokes off in a lot of group chats. Shout out to Rob Markman. Shout out Charlemagne the God. Shout out Hovay. A lot of these dudes. That were telling me all about the Brooklyn Nets and how I kept telling them, listen, if you guys don't win to chip, if you guys go out in the second round, I don't want to hear about who had the best season in New York because it definitely would be the Knicks if they lost this game and if they lost in the second round to the Milwaukee Bucks, right? They live to fight another day. I can't say nothing. All props to you, Brooklyn. You did what you had to do, man. Did you you
1: get this sense watching the game? And I don't want to rag on Giannis, even though at the end of this game, he can't make a free throw. He turns the ball over. He can't shoot the ball. You know, Kaz, as good as he is, as dominant as he is, you see the difference between a guy like Durant and a guy like Giannis at the end of these games. You can give the ball to Kevin Durant, and you know – He's gonna knock down shots. He can knock down shots from any point on the basketball And even, court. even
6: worse, even better, even better than that, he can create his own Bingo. shots. Giannis Absolutely. cannot create. Watching him step back and do that stupid little like back well, and how forth crap. about the fadeaway on Green on the or the
1: fadeaway on Horton? Go <laughs> at him, bro! You know Dog. I'm screaming watching the game. And even though I have money on the Nets, you would think that like I see this and I'm like outraged. <laughs> but like, dude, you got Horton on one leg. Who's not a yeah. great defender to begin with? Why are you settling for a fadeaway jumper? Go at his ass, for goodness sake.
6: James Harden, James Harden, if you would have put like if you would have put ten platinum chains in the paint tonight. James Harden still wouldn't have gone in there <laughs> because he knows he was hurt. He was on one leg. He was on there, he was on there doing, giving it you know, the old college try. But I guess he did what he had to do. And watching Giannis is, I mean, I could not picture myself being a Milwaukee Bucks fan because it is so frustrating to watch Giannis do these things. It, and I've said this a bunch of times. It feels like we want him to be a Kobe, but he's really a Shaq who needs a Kobe right? Like he's a guy who he needs somebody to create for him. He needs, he's not that dude. He's not that guy. Even when he hits that three, that little step back three and against, against against against, uh, with Blake Griffin, guarding him like nine feet out or whatever. I'm like, that's the worst thing that could happen because now he has confidence. And that's
1: exactly it. So Milwaukee played a great first quarter and a half on offense. They're moving the ball. They're actually getting some good looks, but because they hit a couple of those stories, Cas it felt like they could play one on one basketball in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, and they it just took terrible gold. shot after terrible shot, dude.
6: It's fool's gold, man. It's fools gold, especially when Giannis was hitting those. It's just like, listen, you are severely they are severely outgunned. They have one guy. And on top of that, before not even not even talking about, you know, the offense. It took you 42 minutes to finally send two people at the one dude who can do all the yeah, scoring for you. Know, you. Like,
1: like, and you know what? With like the Harris he, is shooting the ball, I know he's a great shooter. I know he's going to find it eventually. Let catch. Joe Harris beat he's you. The let ball. Joe Harris, Harris beat you. i Durant go for 50 points. Let somebody <laughs> else beat me, bro. Totally agree. Totally let, agree.
6: Let Joe Harris beat you. Let Jeff Green have the game of his season. But I'm not letting Kevin Durant get 50, 49 points. You know what I mean? And most of that in the second half. Like, it was just, it was embarrassing if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan. I'm not even going to lie. Like, they had this game well in hand. They had every single reason to roll over this team, and they didn't. It is that this is one of those games that, like, severely alter the trajectory of a franchise, man. Like, the Milwaukee Bucks, Charles Barkley was saying at halftime, the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win the NBA championship now. Like, they got to win, right? And now it's like, Do they even stay together next year? (laughs) Does the coach even even make it to August? But bro, think about (laughs)
1: this. They got to get back on a flight. They have practice tomorrow. They got to have this Mm. looming over their heads now for the next 48 hours, give or take. And they got to play a game on Thursday night for a team that's been incredibly soft and has been frazzled in a lot of these playoff games. I'm very curious mm. to see how they come out on Thursday, dude.
6: Very curious. I don't know. It's it, it's one of two things, man. Like, I honestly think, like, the heart was taken out of them today. I really do. And I love P.J. Tucker, and I think P.J. Tucker— He's a dog. It, he can play it, for my done, team
1: any day of the week. I'm with you on that. He
6: did, he did as good a job as anybody could possibly do to guard Kevin Durant for the past four games. So I'm not going to give him any sweat. But it's like you're wasting these opportunities to put away a team that every single person in the world had winning the NBA championship, and now it's really anybody's series. Can Milwaukee come back and win a game? I'm sure they can, but I just don't believe that. Like, I think those are the, those are the type of games that just. Rip out the, the the energy, rips out the mojo, rips out the confidence, especially Giannis, because you know now they can just go hacky Giannis. They know he's not going to hit no free throws. They're just going to let him dribble around a million times and and either go full f full back dive into the into the paint with no sort of bag at all. I mean, I'm just. If I was a Milwaukee Bucks fan right now, I would be tossing my hat every single piece of memorabilia out of the window because that is as frustrating a loss that I can remember any franchise having. I mean, granted, you take your hat off to Kevin Durant, one of the greatest players to ever pick up a basketball. There's absolutely no doubt that this dude is a, at worst one of the top, top ten greatest players to ever play basketball. Not even a question. But there's so many opportunities where you could have started doubling him earlier. You could have stopped going to ISO ball and giving the ball to Drew Holiday, who's great. But, like, you're not winning the game with Drew Holiday going to ISO three, four, five, six times down. Or, or Chris Middleton just hitting bailout threes. It's all fool's gold. Do what you were doing. You're a coach. Coach Budenholzer, call a timeout. Set some plays. Run some offense. Let that defense work, okay? Like, you know Kevin Durant's getting the ball every single time down. Make the other guys work. Get them tired. Don't bail them out by running iso after iso after iso or post-up after post-up after post-up. So when they come down on defense, they can rest on offense, too. Now, they're resting on defense. They're resting on offense. Kevin Durant is getting the ball, dribbling it a million times, getting a bucket whenever he wants. He's kicking it out to shooters who are well-rested on defense because you're not running any offense getting anybody tired. And on top of that— it, now you got everybody questioning how many things could have went wrong. You take your hat off to Kevin Durant. You respect respect him and Jeff Green for the incredible game they had. But boy, the Milwaukee Bucks surely, surely blew this. Like I've never seen a team blow something like this before. Now
1: I have not had you on the show since the Knicks Hawks series, and I'm going to ask you ah. a simple question. Forget about that. <laughs> I want to keep it positive, positive K. Right now, that's that's my dude. let's get that's yeah. Thank you, thank you. I expect not to bring it back. So here's how I'm (laughs) going to bring it back. Has Atlanta's performance against Philadelphia, winning a couple of games, playing competitive in this series, down big in game four, costing me money and winning, game one winning, even with the Sixers, and now thinking back to that Knicks series, does it make you feel better now knowing what you know about the Hawks?
6: I I said this after game one. I said this after game one because, honestly, you know, once the Knicks – got pretty handled i mean i feel like they didn't really have control of any game except for maybe the second half of game two and you know they were in it for game one up until that that floated that Trey young hit it does make me feel like the either the hawks should have got more respect oh they should have got more than, respect
1: kaz i didn't the, give them enough credit dude i wanted i a didn't I thought the Knicks. Yeah, were I thought beat them, dude. I thought that
6: was a good matchup. And Cass, I let's that was a honest, good let's be honest,
1: even though you and I bleed orange and blue with the Knickerbockers, that was not a fluke. The better team won no. that series. No. Case closed. No. They it were the a better team. It doesn't.
6: It doesn't. It doesn't keep me up at night. It's not one of those things where it's like, oh man, if if R.J. Barrett would have got that one steal over Bogdanovich, it's a whole different series. I'm like, not really. I mean, like the Hawks were the better team. I'm willing to admit that, but it does make me feel a little better because this Hawks team has been playing great basketball. I mean, I I, I could. Fully admit that they play a even aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball that I, if, I, if they weren't going up against my Knicks, I would root for them. But, you know, I think the world is starting to see like what I was saying all season long. Like, I watch these Knicks every single game. They're a good basketball team. They just ran into a bustle, and, like, it's easy to just be like, oh, well, same old typical Knicks choking in the playoffs. It's like, no, the Hawks are a very good basketball team, and they're showing it right now. They're showing it against the Philadelphia 76ers. They're showing that Trey Young is right up there in the mix as far as young superstars in the league that are willing to take over once, like, the old guard is starting to leave. Not even the old guard leaving. Like They're taking over right now. And on top of that, like, they're deep. They shoot. They play defense. They got... Guys that are gamers, Bogey is a. a that's one dude I. He could play would for my. Love. He nails
1: every three, dude, and he's got. Yeah. He's got confidence up the wazoo, dude. You know. Yeah. He's he played in big games. Players. He ain't afraid to you take want- a big shot.
6: Yeah, you want guys who have been there before, who've been there in big games. And granted, yes, the EuroLeague is the NBA, but he's played in multiple EuroLeague championships, and he's not afraid of any big time moment or any big time game. So I'm a big fan of him. But the Hawks playing how they're playing, man, it does make me kind of look back at the Knicks and look at that roster. And I've done, it. and I'm ashamed at how many times I've done it since the season is over. I would just look at that roster, look at that salary, look at everybody on that Knicks franchise, and be like. These guys won 41 exactly. games. Exactly. <laughs> where the four <laughs> seed is and we're 10 games <laughs> over
1: 500. And that's the thing, Kaz. Like, they were overachievers. They were pesky. They were upstarts. I do believe those last three weeks, playing as well as they did, I think might have taken some of the expectations for the playoffs a little bit out of work. A little I high.
6: A little high. A little high, definitely. I mean, it's one of those things where – I mean, you don't want to lose games like you, you want to go in as hot as possible. And I think the Knicks did what they had to do. I mean, Derek, Ro- like how many great stories came out of this Knicks series? You got the rookies quickly Obi. OB got the resurrection of Derek Rose. You got Tibbs got these guys playing out of their minds. Reggie Bullock couldn't miss for like three weeks. Alec Burks was on fire a lot of times. RJ Barrett stepped up and obviously Julius Randle was getting MVP consideration during that entire streak. Of course expectations are going to be through the roof after that. Like, what are you, what are you going to say? And this is all without a, 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 without having a center that they figured was going to be the, a big centerpiece for the future. And somebody who would have immensely helped them in this playoff run, especially against a guy like Clint Capella. Um, so, yeah, definitely, I guess expectations might have been a little bit high. But you know what? I'll tell you this, John. I was at MSG for game two. For that one win against the Atlanta Hawks. It felt like that a party, party outside it of the garden. Party? I wish I was a
1: porter, bro. Not going to lie. I was, wish I was there.
6: Listen, I was there. And that, I'm telling you, I don't care what happens with the rest of the Brooklyn series or whatever. Even if they win a championship, you cannot recreate that energy. <laughs> That the New York Knicks and that one victory. People will laugh. People will go back and from other cities and like, oh my god, you're celebrating one win. What are you doing? Da, 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 da. I bull. I don't care. That fan base is what made these playoffs so far so much fun. They said to me, I don't care what nobody says. The New York Knicks fan base set the bar for every single arena getting their fans back in because they saw that. And every team, I don't care if it was publicized or not, every star player, everybody was like, "Passion, hell yeah, we need to get somebody." Yeah, like we need to match that energy. We need to have somebody. That's the first thing uh, Kevin Herter said after those first two games. He's like, okay, "We got to go back to Atlanta, and match that energy." We see Utah doing it, L.A., every single team that was starting to bring fans back after this long year. The next, the New York Knicks, sorry, the New York Knicks absolutely set the bar. For fan, intera- well, for fan uh, intensity. I want to say interaction because of the whole spit thing. But <laughs> for fan intensity. you know. So I don't care if it was one game. I loved it. I, it was one of the most exhilarating nights I've ever had as a New York Knicks fan. Which is a little bit uh, distressing to say. Well, that's
1: the last 20 <laughs> but, years for you, bro. I mean, I'll, I'll it, put in some perspective.
6: I, perspective is, is definitely the key word. But I, I wouldn't have traded that one-nighted for anything. It was amazing and it keeps me you know honestly if you're an NBA player a fringe all-star or a guy who like Julius Randall who probably have bounced around a lot of places and you know New York has looked like the place where I can go here and if I have something to prove I'll be appreciated I'll be rewarded and I know this fan base is gonna get behind I'll be a part of it and bro that has
1: not been the case the last yeah. fifteen to twenty years, because they haven't had those sort of moments, and they haven't had those sort of teams. You know the dream. I know the dream. So let's not even Lillard's we know. We Lillard's know the dream, <laughs> and it's whatever it takes. I don't care who, I don't care what. If they can get Damian Lillard, you do it. Let's assume they can't, though, Kaz. Let's try and live in a yeah. world for a hot second. You tell let's me, do it. just for a second, off, it's not that just fun, for a though. second. Yeah, I like the dream, but just for a second, <laughs> we take Lillard off the table, and I tell you, Kaz. There's one player the Knicks can go get in the offseason. Who's the guy you want?
6: Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I'm not mad at Bradley Beal, obviously. I mean, here's the thing, though. It's such a loaded question because it's like, do we want to get back in the same sort of like gerbil wheel that we've been doing with the New York Knicks for the past 10 years? It's like, do we really want this slow, gradual build with this young young core and... Hopefully, not this year because the class isn't that great unless Kawhi, you get Kawhi Leonard, which I don't think is ever happening, but you, you wait until next year with the free agent class is a little bit more full, and you could take that young core and just add somebody on there, or do you want to just kind of mortgage your future, mortgage some picks? For somebody who's already kind of in their prime and you're kind of in the same sort of situation that you were last year. And I don't know if Julius Randle and Bradley Beal with RJ Barrett win 41 games. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. I think a max um,
1: ceiling for that team in an 82 game season is probably like 45, 46 wins. Yeah, yeah. Like and, and I
6: like I like Bradley Beal a lot, but I, I don't know, man. I'm I've 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 started to kind of come off the the Knicks sort of high of trying to trade for those stars and be like yo I like my guys. You like I like, it like or my guys article, and okay. okay.
1: I like my but eventually, guys eventually though I- guys you are going to need a star.
6: That's yes, the Eventually absolutely.
1: you're going to need a star if you want to win a title.
6: Absolutely. And I do believe that the only scenario that the Knicks get any sort of superstar you know, through trade is on some James Harden stuff. If somebody's like, trade me here, I'm not going anywhere unless you trade me here. So you you bring down the value a little bit. You got Leon Rose and World Wide West who are, you know, master, you know, sort of front office guys who can kind of wheel and deal. And, you know, it's it's one thing to go out and get a star. It's another thing if a star says, trade me here. That changes everything. The star says, trade me here. Now the Knicks got a little leverage. Now you can be like, hey, you take these pieces, whatever, and you like it, you know? But if you're just going fishing, if you're going big game hunting, then it's just kind of just rolling the dice with every sort of piece. And who knows where that kind of takes you. And and, and I've lived that before, you know? And I'm not sure if I want to do that again. I really do like my young core. I do like Randall coming back. He's already kind of shown that he can bounce back out of... From from poor performances, if, I know he's going to be a, a, an even better player next year. RJ Barrett took the leap. He just turned twenty one yesterday. You know what I mean? Like I, I have full faith in that dude. I don't think the Knicks are that many pieces away. I think Derrick Rose stays. I think him and Tibbs have a lifelong kinship now that I don't think he's going to want to go anywhere without that guy. And uh, you know, I think it's I, I don't think they need that much. I don't think they need that much. I think they got a lot of draft picks. It's a it's a and sexy draft with a lot of sexy names in there, and you get one person, and that changes the entire franchise. Maybe you don't, maybe you're not Brooklyn sexy, maybe you don't have three future Hall of Famers on your team, whatever. But if we see if we learned anything from the playoffs, that doesn't really mean anything. Depth wins, and not necessarily like star players, unless you got Kevin Durant who's a one of one, obviously. But I think depth wins in this league, and I don't think the Knicks should. Completely sacrifice that for another big fish, a big fancy fish. Thanks for doing this.
1: It's always great seeing your face. But I got to know. It's always that. good seeing you, when JJ. Am I, I miss you, When buddy. am I getting you out on the golf course? That's what I'm trying oh, to figure out.
6: First of all so so when we hit in Clove Lakes, we go to Staten Island. I, or we, go. we go silver Lake?
1: Lake. I get in the car. I play Civil Lake. I play Jersey. I go from silver Lake to Liberty <laughs> National, bro. I play everywhere. <laughs>
6: Listen, we got, we, got a few, we got a few courses out here in Jersey, too. So, I mean, you know, I'll pick up the links. and You, you, and you strike me as a no, guy who hit the
1: ball a country mile. I can't say that. Same. I feel <laughs> my like touch is terrible. Scramble. Hey, just get it out there. It's like these. chefs. <laughs> just get it baby. out there. Just get it out there, man. Kaz, you the man, bro. Thanks for doing this, all right?
6: Take it easy, JJ.
1: You got it. Always fun welcoming in my main man, Kaz. We have so much more we got to get to. A winning night for both of the New York baseball teams. Haven't been able to say that much often. And a tough night for the Islanders. A tough night for the officials. And an even series now in the Eastern Conference Finals. All that more. Plus, we're going to welcome in Harry Gagnon to help us out with some U.S. Open picks. A lot more to do. New York, New York. Presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming right back.
5: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com.
1: For the Islanders. The Islanders had an opportunity to go up 2-0. And hey, I hope everybody out there who follows New York, New York, who follows our show, my Twitter page, John underscore Jastrzemski, which if you're listening to the podcast and you don't follow me on Twitter, I mean, you're missing out on some high quality entertainment and a couple of very engaging back and forths because that's how we roll. That's what we do. We gave you a little... Odds boost, we gave you a little play on Brock Nelson to score a goal in the Islander-Tampa Bay game. And it was not a good night for the Islanders. They ended up getting smoked by the Lightning. There's some questionable officiating in this game. I mean, uh, from the too many men on the ice to what went on with Varlamov. I mean, it was it, it was a rough night for the officials, but the Lightning were a better team on the ice. They were a the better team on the eyes. And you got to know when you're up 1-0 in a series and you're on the road in game two, in many ways, a lot of cases, you're going to have the officiating going against you. It was an off night for the Islanders. You take it for what it is. You do what you need it to do. You get this series back to the barn, even at a game apiece. And now you got to let your home ice do the trick. You got to rely on your goaltender who has been red hot. You hope that he's A-OK and that there are no issues going into game three. And you got to silence this momentum quickly. That, to me, is imperative for the Islanders if they're going to win this series. Because Tampa Bay, with all of the firepower they have on offense, they're so big and they're so fast. And you guys know the star power on this team. I don't need to lecture you on that. But they're big, they're fast, and they're explosive. You saw that explosive nature come out of the Tampa Bay Lightning in game two. And if you let that ball get rolling, that's a dangerous, dangerous predicament for the Islanders. So they got to bounce back. There's a major bounce back spot on Thursday. I wouldn't be overly discouraged with this loss. This was not one of those games where I'm saying could have, should have, would have. I would have liked the officiating to be better, quite frankly, but it's not the reason the Islanders lost. I don't, I don't like using that as an excuse because to me, that's lame. Tampa was better. Now go beat them in game three. So you had all that going on on the Harwood and the ice. It's a rarity that we can talk about a winning night for both of the New York baseball teams. And I got to admit, I saw the comments earlier today from Brian Cashman. Not the least bit surprising, by the way. Brian Cashman spoke with Meredith Morakovitz. Brian Cashman spoke with members of the media before the Yankees played their game up in Toronto against the Blue Jays. And basically, reaffirmed a couple of shirts that you may or may not agree with. The first being is, the Yankees are not making an in-season managerial change. As much as you may want it, as much as I might want it with Buck Showalter, it ain't happening. 2021, Aaron Boone is going to be the manager. The general manager told you so, point blank, because he was asked the question. I'll give you the exact quote, because I like exact quotes, and... You know, the great, can't win them all. Bob Ridgeo actually sent this to my attention because he knew he was going to get a response out of me. Asked if he was sure Aaron Boone is the right manager for the Yankees. Brian Cashman said, we made this bed and we are going to sleep in it. We are in this together. They have it. GM manager in it together for 2021. Cashman also told you that He thinks the Yankees are going to be rather aggressive in trying to add at the deadline. Well, they're going to need to. Because as we know, this team needs a whole lot of work. Now, all that going on, nice hearing from the general manager. Would be nice to actually see the team back them up like they did in Atlanta over a decade ago and go on some sort of crazy run. I don't know if yelling and screaming at the team is going to do anything, but hey, it's worth a try. I'm open for anything. This had bad loss for the Yankees written all over it. And what I was thinking five and a half, six innings into the game, quite frankly, was the Yankees find ways to lose. Now that their offense is coming out of it, great at-bats for Gary Sanchez, Gittins hits his first big league home run, got job the other day, just missed, overturned on instant replay. Can you imagine that? Thinking your first hit and your first home run in the big leagues is gone and it's taken away from you? I mean, that could be like some Moonlight Graham type shit if you never get another opportunity and you never get another chance. Like, that would eat at me to no end. I'd be telling that story until I'm on my deathbed, for goodness sakes. So I'm happy for forgetting that he could put that to bed and say, you know what? I did actually hit a big league home run and it still hasn't landed up in Buffalo. But the Yankees score a ton of runs, but they get a bad start from Jordan Montgomery. Montgomery was all over the place. Couldn't pull guys away. A lot of soft contact. A lot of hits. Hard contact, too, from Bo Bichette. And they fall behind 5-2. to two. To see the Yankees fight back and put together some quality at bats up and down the lineup. How freaking loo-ya. Oh my goodness. It was like who is this team and what happened to the Yankees? From Gardy hitting a home run to Frazier coming off the bench and getting a big hit, and Duhar stepping up. Well, may you get involved in getting a couple of hits? This is the sort of offense I expected from the Yankees all year. It got dicey with Zach Britton in the eighth inning. I thought for sure Beau Bichette was going to hit a bases clearing double and Toronto was going to win the game. Britton escapes. Chapman does his thing in the ninth, and the Yankees win a game. Great. Win this series. Minimum. You got Cole on the mound. And I know baseball now has these rules enforced about the pine tar and the spider tack, And I know offense and homers and everything is up way up over the last week. I don't want to hear that with Cole. Cole was good against the twins the other night. Go be great against Toronto. Yankees need him. Go win this series. Start building some momentum because you've got a long way to go in the American League East. Get a little bit of a break with glass now being done for the year, probably with the partial tear in the UCL. The Red Sox continue to win games. Toronto is going to be tough with that lineup. And remember, they're getting George Springer back. And they are also going to go and get an armor So, the only way back into contention is rattling off a bunch of wins in a row. It's one win. Take it. Move on. Good win. One of the better wins of the year, if we're being frank. As for the Mets, listen, give credit where credit is due. The Mets continue to find ways to win. They continue to find ways to win. And what can you say about Taiwan Walker? I mean, you look at Taiwan Walker's numbers this year. He's got a 2-1-2 ERA, 6-2 on a year. Taiwan Walker is an all-star. He is absolutely an all-star. It's nice to see Alonzo contribute with a couple of RBIs. Jonathan VR, where would the Mets be without Jonathan VR this year? He's got a 774 OPS. He's got a lot of big hits for this team. Were the Mets. Given a little bit of a break in the top half of the ninth inning as Lugo's trying to close it out. I don't know why they executed the double switch the way that they did, but that's eh, a story for a different day, or why they didn't go and double switch, I should say. I'm thinking they should have double switched. They didn't double switch, and Lugo's spot comes up in the eighth inning. Ninth inning, he's back out there. Great. Gives up a couple of hits. What is the third base coach doing, sending Jake Marisnyk? Instead of having second and third with one out and you really got to sweat that baby out, Lugo is given the break of a lifetime. Marisnik was out by a mile. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, when I saw him the third, I'm like, what in God's name is he doing? I thought he went on his own. Got sent by the third base coach. That's party foul right there. But the Mets now have won the first two games of this series against the Cubs. They won the series against the Padres. And oh, by the way, guy by the name of DeGrom is ready to rock and roll. So you got all that going on and Jacob DeGrom is cooking. That's beautiful. Right now, the Mets finding ways. They're incredibly resourceful. They got all these division games coming up. You really like where the Mets are at 34 and 25 on the year. Good night in New York baseball. Can't say the same for the hockey, but a good night in New York baseball and a great night for Kevin Durant. We get back to more voicemails. And in case you're wondering, folks, How to get in touch with New York, New York. 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. That is our voicemail line. You get to hear my wonderful voice. You leave a voicemail, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, minute. Just bring the fire. Bring the heat. That's all I ask. Speaking of bringing the heat, what do we got?
2: JJ,
3: what's up, man? It's Will from Manhattan. Uh, You know, I love the show, but I got to say it's getting so tiring listening to you cry about the Yankees over and over again. Look, bro, we get it. The Yankees suck, okay? This is not their year. This is a brutal year to be following the Yankees. There's nothing watchable about the team. Meanwhile, right across the street in Flushing, Queens, you have a first-place team that is exceeding all expectations that is playing like a Cinderella team on a mission with guys like Jose Peraza and Jonathan Villar and Kevin Pillar being complete contributors, complete, complete contributors, complete badasses for this team, leading us to first place. You have, oh, yeah, the best pitcher in baseball who's having a historic, literally historic, no one in baseball history has pitched to the start that Jacob DeGrom has started, and yet we get buried every time in your show. We're always in, like, the 15-minute mark. You talk for 10 minutes about how we just played. And then, meanwhile, you probably focus on the loss that we had last night, even though we just took two out of three from one of the best teams in baseball in the Padres. The message is going to continue winning, man, continue winning, continue taking this team by storm, the city by storm. This isn't the Mets, you know. We actually have a fan base. So uh, maybe you should actually uh, take a little bit of time on your show, stop talking about the Yankees for once, give them a break, and focus on the actual baseball team in New York, the team that might actually go win a championship this year. Thanks, my friend. I'll hang up and listen.
1: There's a lot to get to there, Will. First of all, you got to understand something, my friend. You got to understand something. This has nothing to do with my loyalties. Negativity in many ways, unexpected negativity, is going to be a bigger story than surprise positivity. I hate to say that, going to bother people. It's going to rub them the wrong way, but it's the God's honest truth. I'm not looking to disparage what the Mets have done. I think if you've listened to this podcast, if you've listened to me on SNY, I have given the Mets nothing but bouquets for the way they have played this year, the way they have overachieved with guys being on the injured list. They've done a fabulous job and the Mets keep winning. you got nothing to worry about, bro. They're going to be leading shows. They're going to be getting a crap load of attention. you got nothing to worry about. When it comes to editorial consent on this show, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this now for a long, long time and I'm not looking to pound my chest and toot my own horn. There are some folks in this business who have no clue how to gauge that and how to judge that.
2: No freaking clue. I do. Don't
1: worry about it leave that to the professional enjoy your team enjoy your victories they will get the love they will get the attention but be self favor, okay friend of friend leave the editorial choices on this show to this guy right here i got you covered i promise there's a reason i do what i do and if i didn't i wouldn't be here just saying i wouldn't be here who's up next
0: Hey, JJ, I uh, love the podcast. This is Kevin uh, from West Orange, man. Listen, I just heard you uh, on, on last week's episode talking about Giancarlo Stanton and how, you know, if you could do it over again, you wouldn't sign him. But my problem with the fucking Yankee organization is the fact that if you're going to sign a DH who is going to make $32 million a year, you've got to be able to go over the fucking luxury tax. I don't blame Giancarlo that he can't stay healthy and can't stay on the field. They made the choice to trade for him knowing exactly what the fuck he was. But they refused to sign the the Michael Brantleys of the world that can, you know, be left-handed, give the lineup some balance, actually play the outfield. So, again, I got no hate with Giancarlo. I wish he could stay on the field. But the fact that the organization was like, yeah, this is a good decision, but we can't spend over $200 million is a motherfucking joke. Anyway, JJ, love the pod, love what you're doing. Uh, Long-time
1: listener, man. First-time caller, actually. So, hope you're doing well. Take it easy. I feel that frustration with the Yankee luxury tax. The Yankees, after 2017, were in a position to go and get a big-time star. They flirted with Manny Machado. I'm glad they didn't get Manny Machado. I'm glad. I know people say, oh, they need an infielder. He's a shortstop. He's not really a shortstop. He's third baseman. That's number one. Number two, I think Machado's attitude sucks. I've never been a Machado guy. I'm glad they ended up with D.J. Lemayu. That was never my intent. Harper, who is not exactly Mr. Personality, fit the team a lot better than Stanton. The Yankees like the persona that Stanton brought to the team. And from everything I've heard, he's a really good dude. He's very likable. Here's the problem. His body broke down dramatically between the time the Yankees got him and 2021. To the point where they don't even trust him to play the outfield which is insane to me. And I'd put him out there at this point. I'd say, I'm putting him out there for a week. If he gets hurt, he gets hurt. I'll roll the dice on that. I'll take that chance. The idea that he cannot put the outfield is comical. The idea of the Yankees not going over the luxury tax is also fairly comical. I get that. But remember, just going over the luxury tax does not necessarily mean you're going to win a championship. Because teams that are doing it the right way, like Tampa Bay, for example, they're spending seventy, eighty million dollars. They know what close to the luxury tax, and they're better than the Yankees. So you have to make better roster decisions too. It's a combination of two: use your financial wherewithal, but be smarter and be better. Who's up next?
4: Hey, JJ, it's Max from Astoria, Oregon. Yeah, I, I just want to start with uh, you, delusional New York fans. I, Let's get real. Damian Lillard is not coming to New York, okay? Portland is not trading a star unless it gets another star in return. And the only way he's leaving, and we all know this too, is obviously on his own terms. I know Madison Square Garden would love him and New York would treat him like a god, but that's too damn bad. It's just not going to happen. Uh Secondly, I got another one here for you. I'm not a Yankees fan, but I do watch a lot of Yankee games on ESPN. and. I've got a simple suggestion for you guys. Can you stop with the fucking analytic baseball? I get Tampa Bay and Oakland and Billy Bean and whatever using that strategy, but you know when you don't do that? It's when you're the fucking New York Yankees with a $200 million payroll. If their nerds beat your studs straight up, so be it. But don't stoop to that level. Answer me this one, JJ. How the fuck does not one Yankee fan or Yankee – have a batting average of over 300 right now. I've never heard of that in my life. I just checked stats a minute ago and I hope that, I, 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 that can't be correct, right? Don Zimmer, rest his soul, is turning in his gray right now. This is an embarrassing New York team. I'm sorry for you guys. I, like I said, I'm not even a Yankees fan. I'm a lowly Seattle Mariners fan. Your team sucks. We could beat you guys. What is wrong with you? I got one more suggestion for you. Hire Scott Brocious. He'll actually, like, turn your guys' shit around probably. And, you know, he was a good Yankee for you guys. And he'll actually yell at your players and maybe not greet old, like, happy Yankee players who just lost 8 to nothing with, like, Capri Suns and Rice Krispies treats or something like that in the locker room. So, anyway, love the show, JJ. All right, peace. I
1: appreciate hearing from you in Oregon. I mean, that's when you know we're taking New York, New York locally, nationally, globally, we're doing it all. All right, there's a lot to get to there. I'm going to start first with Lillard. You're a Portland guy. You don't want him to go. I totally get that. I don't know if New York is the destination for Lillard, but Lillard's got to reach a point, sooner or later where he says, I want to win. And I don't know if that's going to be in Portland. It sucks. I, I, I hate seeing situations like that in the NBA. I really do. Like there are certain guys you want to see finish start to finish with one career, one uniform, the whole deal. Lillard's going to be out of there soon. The question is, who can make the appealing offer and where exactly does Lillard want to go? I have no idea. That's an answer we'll figure out in the weeks and the months ahead. Number two, you mentioned the analytics. And I know for a good majority of you, you hate the idea of analytics. David Cohen was talking about this on the broadcast tonight. And I think it's important. There's value in a lot of this stuff. But it's the idea of not being slaved to the concepts. What do I mean by that? Game two of the division series last year. They wanted to outrage the Rays. That's lunacy. That's getting way too cute. That's trying to over-analyze the situation. That's trying to outsmart an opponent
2: who's not going to be faced. It's not going to be shook.
1: That's the sort of stuff with analytics that would drive me insane. Every team that's doing it right in Major League Baseball uses analytics as their dad. That goes for the Dodgers when they won their last world championship, the Astros when they've had success, you name it, the team. You can't be a slave to this stuff, though. And I always
2: say, it has value. You need it. It's a tool for you. But you must understand that there's a heartbeat in the game. The minute you
1: lose that and you forget about that, that's a monumental mistake. Two to go. Who's up next?
2: Hey, JJ, Justin
4: from Miami. Another lost weekend for the Yankees. It just had me thinking, you know, sometimes dynasties are launched by unexpected titles. You think of the 90s Yankees, they win one in 96. They're not supposed to. And what happens? Then in 98, you're down 2-1 to Cleveland, and you fall behind. But you know what? You come back because you know you've won it before. You have a tough heartbreak in 97, but you have the experience of being a champion. I always wonder what happened if this team won in 2017, right? They they maybe win a title they're not supposed to. And maybe 2018, 2019 comes out different. But when you don't win that first one, even when it's unexpected, the pressure builds each year. And I just think the pressure's getting to this team. It's now been four or five years. They've won nothing. It doesn't look like they're about to win anytime soon. And what seemed like a surefire dynasty four or five years ago, now is a run that, frankly, we just hope we turn into the Washington Nationals where we can get one one with this team at some point.
1: All right, love the show, man. Love to hear your thoughts. That is a very interesting point. And I have to admit, Justin, when I was doing a radio at the time in 2017, as bummed as I was that the Yankees had lost to the Astros, I was fairly and supremely confident this group was going to be back. And in some way, I was right. They won 100 games in 2018. They lost to the Red Sox. They won 100 games in 2019. They lost in the LCS to the Astros. They've been in the playoffs three years since. But they have taken steps back. And if you look at the overall core of the team, the core of the team that looks so promising,
2: so encouraging,
1: Judge, he's done his part. When he's on the field, he's done his part. Think about 17. Even though he's hitting right now. Sanchez, where he was then, where he is now. Purr, no comment.
2: Glaber, the last couple years,
1: even though he wasn't there in 2017. Didi, who's no longer on this team. Aaron Hicks and how his game has regressed. Players haven't made that step forward that you thought you were going to see or you thought you were going to continue to see, like in 18 or 19. What happened in a version of Gleyber Torres that hit 38 home runs? Now he's a singles hitter. What happened in a Gleyber Torres that had all sorts of pop? I am encouraged by Sanchez, though. And you have to wonder with Sanchez, is what we have seen over the last three weeks to the month reasonable, legitimate, or mirage? They're not going to trade Gary Sanchez. Could make the argument though his value would never be higher to what it was a month and a half ago and to what it is now is drastically different. They're not going to trade Sanchez unless they fall out of it over the next month because the argument's going to be, hey, guess what? Despite his shortcomings and he's far from perfect, we know that. he is a flawed but talented player. Still going to profile as one of the better catchers in baseball offensively. Numbers back that up. And you're seeing it again. For the time being, you got to ride out this hot streak. And enjoy it while it lasts. I hope it's the continued resurgence. I really do. Because I want to root for Gary Sanchez. He's been so beleaguered. He's been so beaten down. I think he has taken way too much of the brunt of the last two years with the Yankees. And last year, he deserved it. This year, he does not. There are far bigger culprits this year to the Yankees stinking up the joint than Gary Sanchez. And I'd like to actually see those culprits Face the music a little bit. What's fair is fair. Last but not least, who do we got?
2: Hey, JJ Schaaf, Long Island here. Fresh
4: off the Islanders' loss in Tampa tonight. Listen, 1-1 come back to the Coliseum. I think we all knew tonight was house money. Unfortunately, you seem like the Islanders kind of played that way as well. You know, they're always second to the puck tonight. Tampa seemed faster. Tampa seemed more hungry. But you know what? Can't get greedy. Can't be upset Come back to the Coliseum at 1-1. And uh, hopefully they turn this thing around. I think Varlamov, despite the four goals tonight, has been great. And uh, hopefully they use that crowd to really carry them. And the refs have just been horrible both ways, to be fair, both ways. But hopefully the Coliseum crowd can affect them in a positive way. And um, let's take this thing home. 1-1, ain't too bad. Can't be greedy here. Let's go out on it, baby. We got this.
0: Believe.
1: I like the positivity from Sean. It was a poorly officiated game. And I like the fact that Sean was accountable and said it was poorly officiated on both sides, which is true. Tampa was a more desperate team. Even after Nelson countered with the game-tying goal, you could tell Tampa came out with a vengeance. Getting those 50-50 pucks. Extending plays when need be. Capitalizing when they need to capitalize. They played like the team that was down in the series. Okay. You expect that from the Stanley Cup champion. Now it's about responding. You did exactly what you needed to do. You split the first two games on the road. You can't let this momentum boil into game three. You got to silence it right out of the gate. Very important. First five to ten minutes right out of the gate for the Islanders on Thursday night. To me, they got to come out guns and blazing and send the message. Because you don't want Tampa to be like, you know, we're much better than you. And that sort of aura of invincibility comes back from the team we saw last year. You don't want that. You want the champs saying, maybe this is not our year. Maybe this is a different Islander team. Seize the momentum right out of the gate. We'll come back welcoming Harry Gagnon, who's going to help us handicap one of my favorite events of the year, the U.S. Open, and it's at one of my favorite courses. A course, might I add, that I am looking to play at the end of August. And I hope that Torrey Pines is in much more favorable scoring conditions for me to break 110 because I'm going to need all the help I can get at Tory Pines. Just saying. But Harry Gagnon is going to help us handicap the U.S. Open. We'll also set the stage for Wednesday in the NBA and Major League Baseball. And, you know, I had my blood money three-team parlay that I hit down at the Borgata. Threw it in on FanDuel, Mets, Rays, Red Sox. Blood money parlay. My NBA picks on Monday were embarrassing. So I want to redeem myself. Eric Agnan is coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? dash Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake.
5: Thomas's. Huzzah. A toast to breakfast.
1: So we got a very big golf tournament going on this weekend at Tory Pines. This is going to be such a kick-ass weekend of sports, and I love the U.S. Open. I love Tory Pines. I love the fact that my man, my dude, my spirit animal, the lefty, Phil Mickelson, is a reigning champion of the PGA, and now, you know, I'm hoping and praying he could win this tournament. I'm not counting on it, but I'm hoping and praying. So I figured to break down some of the odds for this tournament, a guy who loves betting golf, a guy who's a dear friend of mine, He's making his return trip to New York, New York. And don't worry, he's going to be a regular once the football season rolls around. Our main man from Extra Points Podcast Network, Against All Odds. uh, He's got 10 zillion different gigs. The great Harry Gagnon. What's up, Harry?
7: (laughs) JJ, I love it. You're fired up. I'm fired up. We got the U.S. Open.
1: Uh, This is awesome, man. Thanks
7: for having me on again. I love it.
1: Awesome. Harry, always a blast to have you on, my friend. That's number one. Number two, let's go back to the PGA Championship. Did you even dare? And I know you're a Phil guy, and I'm a Phil guy. I didn't think there was a chance in hell he was winning this tournament. Uh, Mm. Friday night, I might have been a couple of drinks deep. I might have gotten him at like Uh ten of 15 to 1, even though I didn't really think it was possible. But then after watching him on Saturday and watching him survive Saturday, I really believed he was going to win the PGA. Where were you watching that? And when did you finally believe that our dude Phil was going to bring this thing home? Well,
7: you know, it's funny that night after after his round on Thursday, Sal and I were talking and Sal and I were talking and I said, I'm waiting for the line to come out. If Phil is a hundred to one or better, if he's a hundred to one or better, I'm throwing something down on him. When the line came out like a schmuck that I am, he was 95 to one. So I didn't put anything on him. And what a job I feel to get it done. Huh? Unbelievable.
1: It was incredible. And you know, I heard him talking the other day that he's inspired by his buddy, Tom Brady the Mm -hmm. idea that Tom Brady is playing into his mid-40s and he's winning Super Bowls. Phil thinking maybe he can go and win a couple more majors. I never thought he'd win another one. But you know this, Harry. The U.S. Open has been his bugaboo, whether Mm -hmm. it's Wingfoot, whether it's Bethpage. I mean, he's had so many close calls over the years. I'd love to see him win this tournament. But the idea of him winning back-to-back majors with the (laughs) field being as strong as it is, I, Harry, I'd love to take the 50-1, to one and I'd love to root for it this week. I just can't see it, bro.
7: Can't see it, but I, I mean, let's see if he can be in contention. He's been over the years at, at Torrey Pines, and win the farmers. He's done excellent at that golf course before. Uh, Cousin Sal today on Against Our Odds actually didn't want to take it, but he took Phil at plus 120 not to make the cut. But I'll tell you what, out there right now, Phil turns 51 tomorrow. And he looks crispy, looks fresh, and uh, at top for top lefty. How about top lefty? You can get Phil at plus three eighty. I think that's a pretty good deal there. When you're only dealing with like six guys, that Garrick he'll, he go who just won who just won this past week in South Carolina is at plus two twenty. Robert McIntyre, the Scottish guy, and plus plus four eighty is pretty good too. But Phil, at plus 380, top lefty, and I'm also rooting for Phil just in general because, like you said, he doesn't have the U.S. Open. He wants it, and at 51, what a story that would be on Father's Day, basically,
1: right? Oh, amen to that. I may hop on board with that, even though, listen, it's asking a lot for Phil to play well over four days, but top lefty, basically, he's got to beat out one of five, one of six guys. I'm down Mm -hmm. with that, bro. That's a family play right out of the gate, right out of the gate. Now, (laughs) you're a guy that watches a lot of golf. Tournament after tournament, you mm-hmm. handicap it week in and week out. How much stock, Harry, are you putting into the farmers and what guys do with the farmers? Are you going to let that influence your opinion going into this week? Or because the course at right. the US Open is going to play a lot differently, you're not going to take it too much into account? I
7: am going to take, I'm going to put still put a lot of, a decent amount of stock in it because. Still, they know these guys are pros. They're so good. They know how to get around the the edges. They know how to get through the problems that they might endure. Uh, and, and, and some players just have fields. Again, we've discussed this, me and you, before, JJ. They just have fields for certain courses. So I am going to still take that into consideration. But, of course, you know, the USGA loves to make these the US Open tournaments especially tough, keep the rough high make it difficult for everybody. So that's something you have to factor into. And maybe that's something, look, maybe we just talked about Phil. Maybe that's something that gets him in trouble this weekend. I don't know, but I, you know what? For most part, I'm still going to keep that in and I'm take that into consideration.
1: What kind of golfers are you looking at specifically that are going to do well, well at Tory Pines? Is there one particular skill set, Harry, that you want to see from a golfer if you're going to take them this week?
7: Well, I'm looking. You know, I know he's the favorite right now. I'm t- I'm looking at John Rom at plus nine fifty. But he
1: never wins these tournaments. Never I know he wins, was right. great, But he never Harry. He never wins these tournaments.
7: Never wins these tournaments. But his. But I will say this, JJ. Maybe redemption because two weeks ago, let me. I think I texted you two weeks ago. I couldn't have gotten luckier in the world when he had that six stroke lead and had to had to uh, withdraw because of COVID. I had Cantley at the Memorial. And that was Rom's last win. The year before that, now he hasn't won since then. But I'll tell you what, this might be redemption for him here. His first ever win ever on tour. Tory Pines finished uh, second in 2020 behind Australian Mark Leishman. Finished seventh this year. I just think Rom, this he's. I know you're right. He doesn't have a major. He comes close a lot, but doesn't get it done. But at plus 950, I know that's not a great number either. But maybe redemption after what happened two weeks ago for John Rom.
1: I'm a little bum, bro, that we're not going to get Kepka and DeChambeau playing with one another. That would have been great drama. It's unfortunate that Bryson basically wanted no part of it. I give you a choice of one of those two. Who has a better weekend? The reigning U.S. Open champion or a guy who always seems to find his way into contention in these major tournaments? Who do you like more this week, DeChambeau or Kepka?
7: I think I still got to go with DeChambeau just a little bit because overall, he's still having a better year. Uh, and again, like you said, reigning champion. And Kepka still, you never know about that injury of his. You don't know how he's going to hold up. Um, sometimes, and then the media also, sometimes he says the wrong things here. That was crazy a couple of weeks ago. That was hilarious. I mean, And don't get me wrong. I would love for, to see those two. I would have loved to have seen them paired uh, for Thursday and Friday. But maybe we will on the weekend. But overall still, I think Bryson's a better player here. And I think he gets it done over Brooks by a few strokes.
1: Let me give you two guys that I, for one, have circled. Justin Mm. Thomas, who is always good to me. I got him at 20 to 1. Mm. I'm seeing that. Cantlay, who I feel like I give out in every single one Mm. of these majors, just waiting for him to break through. And I know you had him at Jack's tournament a few weeks Mm. ago. If you were going to talk me into playing one of my two leans, Harry, if you were going to sell me, I was going to give you the opportunity to sell Mm -hmm. me on Justin Thomas, sell me on Patrick Cantlay. What's the better option?
7: I think almost right now, right now, in terms of who's playing better, if you want to go that route, you got to go Cantlay. Justin Thomas has been kind of disappointing lately, missing a decent amount of cuts here and there. Uh, Cantlay, like we said, won the Memorial a couple weeks ago. He's always been strong at the, uh, at the Masters. He's always in contention there. So, major-wise right now, Justin Thomas just isn't getting it done for me. I'd have to lean Catlin the way he's playing lately.
1: Now we get to your plays, my friend. You give me Rom. I know you're going to go deeper. I know, I know you got some Listen, ball case, plays part- for me, some, some deep tracks. You're not a favorite kind of guy, Harry. So, who else on the cord does Harry Gagnon have circled for Torrey in the U.S. Open? Well, let's throw out Xander Schauffele. I'm going to tell you something right now, JJ. Wow, look at you going with two guys that are super talented that never, ever win. Eight never, ever win. Tens. I'm surprised no, by that. you're this. right.
2: You're
7: right.
1: Now, let's check this. I, got to, I got to tell you this. Eight top tens
7: in majors for, for Xander. Eight top tens. Um, He's a ho- hometown guy. He grew up in La Jolla. Six top tens this year. Seventh in FedEx companies. Standing and he did show like we were back and forth at the Masters. That 16th hole, he had made the nice comeback. He used the wrong club, put it in the water, and that killed him at the Masters this year. So he's on the verge. Like I said, hometown kid. And I got a bet, JJ, I got a bet where I Xander wins a major, I win about $1,500. If, Zan- if I
1: will actually now root for Xander because 1500 bucks be a nice payoff fee. Now, now but
7: here's here this one though if Xander
1: wins a major,
7: and Rory McIlroy does not. I have that tied together in a bunch of bets. That's 3,500.
1: Even better. Even better. Very <laughs> so nice. So I
2: got to root for the X-Man.
1: You're a little pot committed there. All right. So you're giving me <laughs> X-Man. You're giving me Rom. Do you have an even I, bigger I, long shot?
7: I do. How about, how about this? How about this one? I got a good one for you. Dustin Johnson at plus 350 to miss the cut. How's that? I'm going to like that he has not gonna,
1: played particularly well this year. Exactly. I don't think that's crazy at all. I don't exactly. think that's crazy at all. Plus three fifty for DJ to miss the cut. Hasn't
7: Harry, I'm sensing well.
1: another family play. That might yeah. be too, quite frankly, that might hasn't, be still
7: hasn't played well. Like you said, uh, hasn't played Tory pine since 2017, where he happened to miss the cut. The round that he played before that in 2016, his last round there shot an 80, and in the first two majors this year, he's missed the cut in both. Shot 74-75 in Augusta and 76-74 at the PGA in his home state where I thought he would show off. I think that, I thought that was going to be it in South Carolina when, he, when he's in his home state and he couldn't even make the cut.
1: You're out in Arizona, so set the stage for the audience. Is everybody sipping the Phoenix Suns Kool-Aid at this point? I love it, Harry. Listen, it you know fuck. me. Get the Lakers the hell out. Now yep. I'm running like crazy for Brooklyn to get them the hell out. I love the idea of some new boy in the NBA. And the Suns, I mean, dude, from Booker to, to Paul to DeAndre oh. Aiden, they're a fun team, dude. They're a really fun team.
7: Everything is clicking for them. It just works, you know. Uh, you got leadership from, from, like you just said, those guys. But it just works between Chris Paul and Booker. And, and, and just, it's really, it, you got guys coming off the bench. Every, all the starters, the five starters, almost all of them, scored in double digits in every game against Denver. Um, and the fans here, I mean, how you saw the video there, the fan, of the fan from uh, Phoenix, but they're in Denver. Beating the crap out of those two guys and just pounding the guy saying Suns and four, Suns and four. That was fantastic. It just the the town is going crazy, and the fans here, if you notice, has been really wild, really great. So it's gonna be. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to make it to a game or two for the Western Conference Finals because this team. It, listen, I and give credit to Devin Booker too because he had to deal with so much crap over the past six years, where with just bad teams, bad management, bad GM. Now they've got it in the right order. Monty Williams is doing everything right as the head coach. It was a shame that he didn't win head coach of the year. But still, regardless of that, look, the Suns are – look, they, are, they can definitely absolutely win it. They're playing as good as anybody. If not, they're playing the best out of anybody. They're home waiting while everyone else can't is playing. Fight,
1: I can't fight you on the take of Phoenix – being a legitimate title contender. Cause I think you're right on that. I think Jay this audience Crowder's told, been amazing. Hey, you
7: know, for what it's worth though, oh, Harry,
1: this audience is they okay with Monty Williams finishing second for coach of the year. Cause there's a guy, <laughs> uh, but a name I of Tom it. Thibodeau who did a pretty masterful job with the Knickerbockers this year. Just saying. True,
7: true. But still, like uh, like we said, uh, Jay Crowder off the, uh, you know, start, and he's hitting his three pointers. Now we're, he, look at, they were during that first couple of games against uh, the Lakers, he wasn't hitting anything. So people were worried about him. Monty Williams said, keep shooting, keep shooting. And now he's been fantastic as well. The team's been great.
1: Do you have a preference, Utah or the Clippers?
7: I think right now, right now, I mean, well, she- what we're looking at right now, maybe the Clippers are finally, finally coming into their own. I think yesterday in the first half against the Jazz, JJ, I mean, you can, I was a I, I, couldn't, have, I was,
1: couldn't have been more wrong right. on that game. I thought Utah would compete. I thought Utah had a legitimate chance to win. And the Clippers basically took no prisoners. That was I mean, fun I, to watch. Give credit, I, credit still.
2: Right.
7: I think that was the best half the Clippers have played all season. So right now I'd have to lean like, I'd want to, even though you lose home court against the Jazz, if you play the Jazz, I think I'd want to play the Jazz right
1: now. Harry Gagnon, he's got ten zillion gigs. Okay. Cousin Sal, against all odds, wherever we can find you, it's here, there, and everywhere, my man. And bro, I can't believe I was going through Week One NFL lines and season totals. I uh, will be all over the Dolphins over nine. Give me that total ooh, right now. Injected really, in Dolphins you did abs- it. You absolutely. Did it. And, uh, the idea that people are going nuts about Tua and, and, and in
7: it's five picks OTAs, today, right?
1: Come on, bro. <laughs> Who cares, man? Like. Dude, I saw this today, and a couple of people were, like tweeting at me, chirping it to me. I'm like, guys, you're getting wrapped up in OTAs. Go, f- go find something to do with your time, for goodness <laughs> sakes. Holy shit!
7: Listen, I'm gonna, I hear you. I, I'm gonna give you a game already. Week one, I've, I, I've already scoped up lines too, and I'm telling you, money line. I'm, t- I'm, I'm all in. I'm buying in on it.
1: Chiefs are losing at home to the Browns. Baker makes. Wow, and, and I like the brownies this year. See, the game, I'm already all over. I'm taking the football team plus the points against the Chargers. Week one, sign me up right now. Oh, really? Them, is okay. this a road favorite? No, that's a, that's, a, that's a hard pass for me. Fitz magic, <laughs>
7: baby. All day, That's fantastic.
1: Night. Hey, we got plenty of time to dive into these week one lines. Keep up the good work, bro. Don't be a stranger. And I know as football season rolls around, you will be uh, a guy and a pest that I just can't find myself, <laughs> you know, uh, avoiding in any way, you know? Love you, buddy. JJ, love you too. And by the way, 10
7: and 2. 10 and 2 in my video picks on Extra Point. The last, two tw- last 12 games, 10 and 2. Got, uh, so, listen, I'll, I'll everybody, go to Extra Points. Check out my picks. Brother Bryce, Parlay Kids, every single day we're giving out picks. JJ, love you too. And thanks, pal. Always.
1: Harry always is going to lighten the mood and fire me up. And he's even given out some golfers who never win in a big situation. So, prayers to Harry this week. Prayers. I root for his bet. Shoffley over Rory. I'll root for that. I'll drink to that. But putting your trust in Ram and Rory. I don't uh, Ram and Zando, excuse me. They had two guys that just never, ever win. Speaking of, seems like somebody else wants to chime in on the U.S. Open. What do we got?
3: JJ, Johnny from Greenwich. Just thought I'd throw out a couple U.S. Open picks. I got kind of screwed with uh, the PGA. I was looking great. I had Brooks and in, and I didn't hedge out on Phil, but it is what it is. Uh, Kokrak and Sung JM. Both caught my eye at plus seven thousand. Um, Justin Rose, he, I think he won a Tory a couple of years ago at plus fifty five hundred. Another guy I want to lock in, and then I'm getting Justin Thomas at plus two thousand. Anytime you're getting J T at twenty one, um, I know he's your guy, so gotta lock him in as well. Uh, hope all is well. Pod's going great. Um, have a good day.
1: I appreciate that, Johnny, and we are rock and rolling. With a similar vibe for Torrey Pines at the U.S. Open. I'm absolutely playing Justin Thomas. I'm going to play him in his matchups. I might even take a flyer at 20-1. to 20-1 to 1 is a great number for JT. And I know he's missed a couple of cuts the last few times out. This is the sort of course that should be tailor-made for his game. I love Justin Thomas this week. I like Cantlay this week. I feel like I give out Cantlay in every single one of these dopey majors. Sooner or later, he's going to make me look good in one of these. So I'll be invested in Cantlay. I'll be invested in Thomas. Sun J.M. is interesting. Now, I've seen him on my board at 66 to 1. And I got the odds over at the Borgata, and I got the odds over at Fandle. So I'm looking at him at two different ways. Justin Thomas, Cantlay.
2: I like your rose pick. And if I had
1: to find you a long shot, Abraham answer 66 to 1 those are going to be the plays for the US Open
2: and I love that lefty bet for Phil because that way I get a
1: chance to root for my spirit animal and I don't have to bet him and donate whatever it is at 50 to 1 or 60 to 1 or whatever because he's not winning this tournament I hope I'm wrong it would be incredible I 50-something Phil Mickelson won back-to-back majors, but on this tour, with this field, at that course, I know he knows it well, very, very well. It's asking a lot of somebody who's north of 50 years old. It's asking a lot. So, I gave you my U.S. Open plays. I need redemption in the NBA, folks. I give you a little mea culpa because you know what? I got my ass whooped on Monday night. I gave you the Sixers. I was sitting pretty I'm even pounding my chest as we're out to dinner because I'm out to dinner and I had the game on right on the corner, first half, pounded my chest. They're up by like 18, 19 points. Atlanta comes storming back and B missed every shot and on the man. Oh, it was sickening. That was a cruel, cruel way to lose a wager. I'll tell you what wasn't cruel. The Clipper Jazz game, because I couldn't have been more wrong. Those are the sort of games where you know basically 15 minutes in, What in God's name was I thinking? I just donated a couple of bucks. It is what it is. I'll take losing a game like that over losing a game like Sixers-Hawks any day of the week. So, what are we going to do tomorrow? These are tough lines, man. These are very, 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 very tough lines. Philadelphia is favored by six. The Jazz are favored by two and a half. I don't love either game. I really don't. But I'm going back to the well with both home teams. This may blow up in my face. This might be short sighted. I'm going back to the well with both home teams. I got to figure that Philadelphia is going to find a way to win. And Utah looks so good in their building. They look so, so good in their building. I think they will feed off that home court. I know Kawhi and Paul George look locked in at this point in time. But I'm going to roll with both favorites. And I don't love these, by the way. I don't. Remember, I'm invested on Philadelphia for the series at minus 130. Say your prayers on that. And we're invested in Utah. And those series prices, in case you're wondering what they are at this point in time and why I feel good still about the Sixers, consider this. We got Philly series price. At what? Minus one thirty? 130, minus one thirty five? Philadelphia's minus three hundred on FanDuel. I like where we're at there. Utah series is exactly the same. Minus one hundred twenty one hundred, exactly what it was. So Vegas is telling you point blank with that line, they still expect Philadelphia to win. Clippers in Utah, they have no idea. Coin flip. Absolute coin flip. So I'm rolling with the home teams. And listen. Nowhere to go but up after Monday. Nowhere to go but up. Jeff Money, give him credit. He's all over the Clippers. He beat me heads up. I feel like he's been doing that a lot lately. I love him, but I don't like that. Jeff Money, what's going on?
0: What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a Handicapper Picks. This is going to be for Wednesday, June the 16th. I'm going to go with both NBA games. My money play game, I'm going to take the Utah Jazz minus a three over the Clippers. I think the Jazz coming back home, they're going to get their home cooking. I think they should cover the minus three. And game number two... I'm going to go with the Philadelphia 76ers minus the 6 over the Atlanta Hawks. Usually when they win, they'll cover. I know it's six points. I still really feel deep down they're going to cover that spread. All right, JJ, again, two plays. Money play. We're going to take the Utah Jazz minus the 3, and we're going to take the 76ers minus the 6. Oh, you're right, JJ. I'm out of here.
5: Let's go.
1: Oh, yeah. I liked hearing that. That's music to my ears. That's what you call a confidence booster because Jeff Money's been hot. So we got a couple of family plays going. Sixers, Jazz. Let's hit them both. Let's hit them both. That's the idea. Fun show. And on Thursday, we're going to welcome in Mets royalty. So for our buddy who says, I never talk about the Mets, which is just complete nonsense. Johnny Franco. One of my favorite guys to watch. Even though I wasn't a Mets fan. Johnny always at that sort of New York swagger. He did a game for, what was it? The YouTube MLB broadcast a couple weeks ago. I'm looking forward to having Johnny on. He's going to join us on Thursday. We'll have, of course, reaction to game six with the Nets and the Bucks. What can Kevin Durant do for an encore? I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I think it's going to be a hell of a week in one way or another. So enjoy all of the festivities on Wednesday and on Thursday. We're back on Thursday night. Fellas, all the love. Tremendous job. JJ out. Be good, everybody.